We're in our series called Wisdom in Everyday Life, and the, the big goal, everything we're trying to accomplish here, the big goal is that by the time the series is over, and even right now, that you would pursue, all of us would pursue wisdom with a passion. And that the great goal is that if you will do this, if you will do this, what you're going to find is that you will end up not only becoming wiser, but you will begin to reap the benefits and your loved ones will begin to reap the benefits of your wisdom that is growing and growing and growing. And my prayer for us as a church is that we would have wisdom beyond our years. It's one of the greatest prayers you can pray, that God give me wisdom beyond my years. And my prayer is that in five years time from now, that people would look at your lives and they would characterize your life as a life that is lived with great wisdom. And you're like, David, that's offensive. Five years? from now like I'm wise already well here's the thing about wisdom wisdom says it takes time to become wise so in five years from now if you will passionately pursue wisdom you're going to be surprised at how much wisdom you have gained if you will pursue it passionately over the next five years and you say well that's a long time David well yeah but that's what that's what we've been learning each and every week that wisdom takes time and we started off the series what we did is we started laying the foundation for wisdom. And then we even in a sense turned the page of laying the foundation for wisdom. And we're beginning to see the book of Proverbs speak into the essential areas of our life. Here's the wisdom you need for this area. Here's the wisdom you need for this area. And last week we looked at a collection of Proverbs on our words. And we saw that the words that we speak have a far greater impact on our lives and the words that we speak to others have a far greater impact on their life than we are probably realizing. And today, we're seeing wisdom speak into the area of money. And do you know something that's interesting that people don't realize? Out of all the topics that Jesus spoke about, besides eternal life, the thing that he spoke about the most is money. Now, he, here's the thing. He's speaking and he's, and he's showing, here's how money and wisdom come together. And here's how money and eternal life come together. And, and here's why he does it. Well, you'll see why. You will see why by the time we're done here, why Jesus spoke so much about money. And here's the first thing we're going to do. We're going to look at money and its dangers and benefits first. And we're going to allow this, this wisdom book of Proverbs to speak to us. Um, but before we allow... Uh, Proverbs to speak, we're going to allow the movie Frozen to speak to us. Um, so in the, in the movie, for the Disney movie Frozen, there is a princess and she has the power to turn things into ice. She can either even make snowmen come to life uh, and the little snowman's name is Olaf. And as this happens, what, what we find out is that she has spent, by the time the movie's over, she spent half of her life having this great power and not knowing how to handle it. And it caused great danger and great problems in our life. And that's how the book of Proverbs, that's how the wisdom people, that's how they're approaching money. They said, listen, you, the money is a good thing, but it also leads to a lot of danger if you don't understand how to handle it. So, the benefits and dangers. Listen to this. Listen to what Proverbs says. Proverbs ten fifteen, A rich man's wealth is his strong city. 
The poverty of the poor is their ruin. Now, Proverbs 18.11 says almost the same thing, except it focuses in on the rich man. Now, watch what it says. A rich man's wealth is his strong city, and like a high wall in his imagination. So it's almost like, oh, a strong city, that's a good thing. It causes security. But then it flips it, and it says, no, but actually, it's creating a false security. He's got this high wall, but the high wall is in his imagination. And what it's essentially saying is, here's what happens. Here's the danger. Money makes you feel secure. Good thing, but oftentimes it gives you a false sense of security, and then watch what happens. As soon as you start gaining this false sense of security, you stop relying on God. That's what the wise teachers are getting at. They're they're saying, the the wise teachers are saying, the thing that is almost the thing that is most essential in your life is a reliance on God, a dependence on God. And money will actually make you feel like you don't need to depend on God anymore. You don't need to rely on him anymore. And the, the wise teachers are saying the first thing you need to do in life, if you need something, the first place you go is God. And that gets lost. When you have money, something can happen to you you can feel like you no longer need God. So when a society, let's take a society, when a society is flourishing, they can begin to take on new endeavors and the, the society starts flourishing more and more and more. So money helps us have what we need. My daughter loves what I'm, no, that's not my daughter. She loves what I'm preaching. Um, money helps us know what we, helps us with what our need and then watch what happens. We start studying things like science and technology and philosophy, which is great. But then, in the modern era, do you know, do you know what the modern philosophers, do you know what the, the modern thinkers said? Eventually, we're going to evolve to the point to where we no longer need God anymore. We're going to move past God. We, we will be graduating from God soon enough and that was the thinking. And, and so money led to flourishing, which is a good thing, but then eventually it made us feel like, not that we just don't even need God, but that there isn't a God. But then actually what ended up happening, the thinkers today are saying, the studies are showing, that actually people are not becoming less religious today, but they're actually becoming more religious. They're becoming more spiritual today than they then was thought and far exceeding what, what the thinkers had thought. So what happened was this. Money led to flourishing, which led to a false sense of security, which then led to we don't need God, but then people started realizing something. Money does not protect me from being depressed. Money does not protect me from someone I love leaving me. Money does not protect me from an eventual death that comes to us all. And then people started turning back to God. Great benefits, but great dangers. Watch this. Proverbs 30, 7 through 9 says, Two things I ask of you. And this is, this is a wise man praying to God. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needed for, needful for life. 
Least I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or least I be poor and steal and profane your name, the name of God, the name of my God. He isn't saying that money is bad or good. He's saying here are the benefits and dangers of having too much money or having too little money. So in order for you to not fall into these dangers, here's what the wise teachers did. They started, as, as we look at this collection of Proverbs, they started giving you the tools needed to handle money. So here's what they said. And you've got to think about it like this. So you've got money coming in, in, and think of it coming into your hands, and you've got money. And the question now is, what are you going to do with that money? Are you going to play the lottery, $1.6 billion? Did, 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 it, did we finish that? Did somebody win? Yeah? Anybody here? No, okay. Uh, What do we do? Should we put it in our pocket? Should we save it? Should we give it to the poor? What do we do with this money? Do we invest it? The question is, what are we going to do with this money? And to just sum up everything that Proverbs says about how to handle your money, here's here's what it's saying. Think in terms of percentages. This is key to everything. The money comes in your hand and you look at it, and the question is, Not how much money do you have here. The question actually is, how are you going to divide up this money? What percentage is going to what area of your life? This is how the wise teachers are saying it. So if I was listening to a financial guru speak recently and in this podcast, and and here's what he said. When I meet with people who make $25,000 a year, or if I meet with someone who makes $25 million a year. He said, the two both are struggling, wondering if they have enough money to support their current lifestyle. And he would say, oh, no, if I had $25 million, I would be fine. I would have tons of money. But the reality is we always seem to adjust our lifestyle based off of how much money we come in. So then maybe we get a raise and we're like, okay, well, I've got a raise and and we start saving more money. And the next thing you know, we're starting to adjust our lifestyle a little bit more. And the next thing you know, we're back worrying about if we have enough money to meet the lifestyle that we currently have. And see, here's the problem. We're not thinking in terms of percentages. We're thinking in terms of dollar amounts. What the wise teachers are saying is there's a percentage to invest. There's a percentage to save. There's a percentage to pay the government. There's a percentage for all the rest of the things that you want to do. And it's about dividing them up into percentages. Now, It's not about how much money you have. It's about dividing it up into percentages. And the book of Proverbs does not give you the exact percentages because the book of Proverbs says, ah, you have to have wisdom to know what they are. But, like, let's think of investing. So in terms of investing your money, uh, putting it somewhere where you are drawing interest on it. So here's what Proverbs 6, 6 through 8 says. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. Proverbs 21.20, precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling. Listen, precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. So 
The wise teachers are saying invest your money. The consensus is if you talk to financial advisors, at least 10% more if you can. 10%, so you're thinking in terms of percentage. 10% of the money that comes in, immediately you just invest it. Now you might say, well, gosh, I'm having a hard enough time just paying bills. Investing it just sounds crazy. Well, here's what the wise teachers are saying. Divide up in terms of percentages, and whatever you have at the end left over, that is what supports the lifestyle that you have. And you're like, well, I want a different lifestyle. Well, you don't have enough money for that lifestyle. That's what they're saying. So you say, well, I don't know if I can really invest, but let's think of it in terms like this. Practically speaking, everyday stuff. So if you save and invest $10 a day, $10 a day from the time you're 25 till the time you're 65, and you invest that, and you draw 8% interest, which you can do, uh, do you know how much that is by the time you retire? It's over a million dollars. $10 a day. Uh, that's two Starbucks hot venti cinnamon dulce lattes a day, or a million dollars when you retire. Uh, now, if you're already investing, go enjoy your Starbucks. But if you aren't investing, there's your answer right there. Just instead of getting Starbucks, just invest the money. Very practical. Uh, or the wise teachers talk about emergencies or an emergency fund. Proverbs 27, 12. The prudent man sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. Oh, by the way, Proverbs right now is getting us into the practical things, and then it's going to get us into the heart of the matter. But the prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. So the wise understand that life in this world, emergencies are going to come. Things are going to happen. Uh, maybe you lose your job. Maybe something happens with the economy. Maybe something happens to your car. Maybe you start going through health problems. Well, what the wise teachers of today would say is, Take three months' worth of the income that you have coming in, put it in your savings, and just leave it there in case an emergency comes. The wise teachers. Taxes. Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar, and to God what is God's. So, pay your taxes. You have to. The government will find you if you do not. Um, and the, I, I think the average American pays... And you guys are going to be like, oh, afterwards you're going to be like, oh, well, did you know that this? But the average American pays 15% in income, not including Social Security or whatever else. So 15%. There's your percentage. Now then, here's what the wise teachers say you do from here. You take everything else and you say, what kind of lifestyle can I have now? What is the lifestyle that I need to have? based off of this that's coming in, and then you say, okay, well, this is going to go to my house. I want this size house, and I can support it here. I want this kind of car. I want to give this much to charity. I want to give this much to the poor. I, I, want, I want to go out to eat. I want to go to the movies. And you just take your percentage, whatever's left over, and you decide how you're going to live. And that's so hard for us to do, but this is what the wise teachers are telling us. Now, there's one more percentage that the Bible talks about. And the Bible calls it your first fruits. It's saying, before you do anything with your money, 
your first fruits. And here's what the first fruits are for. For God's kingdom to come. This is what the wise teachers are saying. So the, the wise teachers would say, in the Old Testament, 10%, use it to build God's kingdom. Now then you say, well, what in the world would compel someone to give 10% to kingdom that you can't even see? So here's the progression that typically I think happens for people. So first, someone comes into the church and they're questioning Christianity. They're wondering if this is true, is this not true? Uh, and so they start investigating. They investigate and then eventually they come to say, okay, I believe that this is true. And they keep coming around the church and then they hear about this 10% thing and they're like, oh, this is, I've never heard about this before. What's going on here? This sounds actually very impossible to do. And so they're wrestling with this. And, and over time, start making adjustments, and they say, you know what? I've come to realize that God's kingdom comes through the church, and so I want to start making strides to move in this direction. And they start making strides to move in that direction because they deeply have believed that God's kingdom comes through the church. Now, this, this is... This is what the wise teachers are teaching us about what to do with our first fruits. And look, this is a matter of the heart. Uh, the Bible says, if you are not giving in a cheerful way, don't give. Because it's not good for you. The Bible wants your heart. And that's why Jesus talked so much about money. Because our hearts get wrapped up in money a bit. Um, so there's a study, and let me, just, let me just show you this. So there's a study that came out from Stanford, and here's what they discovered. If Americans, if just simply American Christians gave their first fruits, there would be enough money for the entire world to eliminate global starvation to provide education for every child on the earth and to have clean water for everyone. This is why the Bible is concerned about these kinds of things. Now, I want you to know something. Because I know this is, like, this is a little bit uncomfortable to talk about, right? And it's in church. So here's the, here's the thing. This includes pastors. And I want to tell you something about pastors they have absolutely failed. The American pastors in America have failed over and over and over again because we hear stories after stories of pastors abusing their whatever, they're manipulating people or whatever, and we hear stories about how churches are using their money, and I want you to know that God has spoken about these types of people in the Bible, and he calls them false shepherds, and he has not very good things to say about them. So what I want to just ask you to do right now, if you're feeling uncomfortable even about this conversation, I just want you to know, do not take all of your feelings towards the church and to God because of pastors who have handled money in a very bad way. Um, God is not happy about them, so do not take all the things that you feel about that and direct them towards God and direct them towards the church because they are not, those are not good pastors. Those are not good shepherds. And the Bible has a lot of bad things to say about them. And 
I'll leave it, I'll just leave it at that. Here's what I do want to say. The Bible does have a lot to say about money and our hearts. And none of us are immune to what's going on. So, we have to guard our hearts when it comes to money. Um, here's why. Money has a way of owning us. Money has a way of gripping us. Look at this. Proverbs 3, 13 through 18. So we want to think of wisdom and money and our hearts. So listen to what it says. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She, meaning wisdom, is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare to her. Long life is in her hand and in her left hand are riches and honor. She, her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. This is saying that wisdom is far greater than money. It is more precious, and wisdom will give you peace like money will never be able, be able to. Money without wisdom will absolutely destroy you. But wisdom and money, if you have wisdom with your money, it will teach you not how so that your money will destroy you, but how, how you can benefit from what you do have. But still, this isn't getting at our heart. And wisdom is always linked with our heart. And the greatest danger with money is that it can take over your heart. That's why Jesus talks so much about it. So Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart is. If money, if money is your treasure, you always need more. So John D. Rockefeller considered the richest man in modern history. And when he was asked by a reporter, how much money is enough? He said, just a little bit more. Money had him. It owned him. He became a slave to it. But he had the most. But it still was never enough. But if wisdom is your treasure, then what happens is the more you get wisdom, the more you are set free. Not owned, but you become more and more set free. Why? Because wisdom sets you free from money. But why does it set you free from money? Because wisdom makes you content. It makes you content. If your treasure is money, you will never be content with how much you have. You're going to be scared of losing it. And it's always going to be on your mind. And then watch what happens. So it becomes on your mind. And you're like, oh, well, I need to hold on to this. And I need to go make more of it. So the more, you say, let me go make some more money. And so as you're doing this, you're losing time with your family. You're losing time with your friends. And you're losing time with God. And as this is happening, you're losing your family. You're losing your friends. And you're losing God. Because it's got hold of you. The key is, when your heart's in the right place, you can just simply be content in life. And then you know how to use your money. But money will make, never, ever, ever make you content. 
If you're content, you master your money. If you are not content, your money will master you. Frank Sinatra, he sings dooby dooby doo. Wisdom says be do, be do, be do. Here's what I mean. <laughs> Here's what I mean by that. So when money is your treasure, you need more of it. So what do you do? You get more of it. So you got to work hard. You got to do and do and do. And you think if you get enough money, you're finally going to be able to be content. You're finally going to be able to just be. What wisdom is saying, be content already. And then you're going to know what to do. Then you're going to know how to use your money. Then you're going to be able to say, oh, I just divided up into percentages. No big deal. Versus saying, oh, I just need to go do so I can get more money. So if I can just get enough, then I'm finally going to be content. See, do you see how this is a matter of the heart? You see, this is, this is, and this is all of life. It's just functioning out of a place where you are already content versus you're just working so hard to finally get to the place where you can be content. You've got to start off content. Now, how do you do that? Well, Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, says, says I have found the secret whether I have a lot or a little, I have found the secret of being content. Now, what's his secret? Have you guys heard of a catechism? So catechism is uh, basically a question and an answer. So it's a question about God or the Bible, and then it's an answer coming from the Bible. So in the Heidelberg Catechism, the very first question they ask is this, what is my only comfort in life and in death? The answer they give is that I am not my own, but I have been bought with a price. Now, to be a Christian is to be content because you know that the God who clothes the lilies of the field, you know he has a great treasure. And the great treasure of God is you. And to buy you, to purchase you, he takes the thing that is the most worthy of all the cosmos. He takes the thing that for all of eternity, nothing is worth what he buys you with. Do you know what he buys you with? The Father purchases you from death, from sin, with his Son. No one is worth, nothing is worth more than him. And Christ was in on it because he wanted you. And if he did all of that, you better believe that he's going to care for you far greater than he cares for the lilies of the field that he clothes so beautifully. If he did that for you, 
you better believe that no matter what stands in front of you, no matter what you've got to walk through, no matter how much suffering comes in your life, no matter how difficult things get, you better bet that the God of the cosmos is going to bring you through it because he gave everything for you. And if you are worth that much to him, you know what else that means? Not only can you just be content, but you know what it means? You can be content like this. You can stare death in the face and you can laugh at it. Because you have a God who's already gone through it to bring you through it. And you can rest in that truth. Now, if all of this is true, this changes everything. All the uncomfortableness that we feel when people start talking about money, we just say, who cares about that? Look at what the God of the cosmos has done for me. I don't even care. Whatever, it doesn't matter. All of my life is now changed because the God of the cosmos has said, I am worth this to him. This changes everything for me. And then we begin to live our life completely different. With so much more, I mean, we are so much more content than we thought was possible because we know we have a God who's fighting for us and who cares for us. That, cha- that does, that changes everything. All right, let me pray for us. God, we thank you for this um, truth. And God, I pray that... Um, the weirdness that comes when you start talking about money, God, I pray that that's just gone. And we would just see, God, that you are the God of the cosmos who's paid for us with your life. God, I pray that we would hear that that would be what resonates in the halls of our hearts. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.